Welcome to Elevating the Customer Experience, a podcast from Nuance. In this episode, we explore how organizations can better manage customer engagement amid disruption. I'm your host, Jeff Large. This episode is the final of a three-part interview with guest speaker from Forrester Research, Art Scholler. We've covered everything from the importance of companies being agile and authentic, to overcoming the challenges of home-based agents and leveraging workforce management systems. Do yourself a favor and listen to the first two episodes if you have not already. In this final episode, Art discusses how to preserve security and authentication and shares his thoughts on infrastructure capacity in the face of increased customer contact volumes. We finish the conversation with a look at what's next for the customer experience, artificial intelligence, and the relationship between digital and voice. We pick up our conversation exploring workforce management and what we should expect moving forward. All right, so as we start to look at the, if we go back to the workforce management piece, we've talked about it a little bit in terms of right now, where do you see it going? How do we see this work from home? Is it gonna continue? Like what should we expect? I gotta tell you, I had an inquiry with one of the top banks in the United States just day before yesterday. And they were still holding back some on sending their agents home because there was still resistance from management. You know, is it safe? Is it secure? Is it in compliance? And this is one Forrester client that I just have a, a running relationship with. I do an inquiry with him about once a quarter. He's a great guy. And I said to him, if there's anything I can do for you is to provide the feedback that you have no choice. You're going to have to send that workforce home. It's just a matter of time. A Forrester statistic in our employee experience research, we're putting surveys out now once a week to test the workforce and how they are feeling about this whole thing. And that's not context center specific. It's just all workers. About a month ago, 29% said that they're fearful about going into their place of work. The last time we polled them, that number is up to 56%. So there's a forcing function here, even going into regulated industries that says, get them home. Once we do that, and once even in some of these industries where there's been some resistance, and we find out that we make it work, I really truly believe that both for knowledge workers and for contact center agents, we've seen Basically, year-over-year year growth and work at home, more and more acceptance, but you know, it, it hasn't been like a big hockey stick. But I think that this will put a bit of a boost behind work-from-home programs across all industries. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you brought up really good points even in that example that there's some legitimate concerns that from the authenticity side and or kind of authenticating things and keeping things secure – for even say these industries, what do we do? Like, how do we adapt when our people clearly need to be home, but perhaps we weren't ready for it? Yeah, you know, the, we weren't ready for it. Well, organizations are learning how to get ready pretty fast. And I mentioned earlier, a lot of the remote access tools, you know, VPN, remote desktop, virtual desktop, you know, can you run things on their own machines instead of a company issued machine, et cetera, et cetera. And then also just the bandwidth into their home is not handling the traffic because the teenagers are watching four Netflix movies. Be willing to spend the money that they can upgrade that pipe into their local internet service provider. I mean, don't scrimp on that cost because it's the value of the employee doing the work instead of that expense of, of the connectivity. But I think that 
making things secure for more of the regulated industries is still a concern. And how do they authenticate the agent who's logging in and making sure they are who they are? And as far as another aspect of this, this isn't really a work from home question, but it is a pandemic question. The scammers, the hackers, the people trying to get something out of you are out there. They are very agile. They respond to things very quickly. And I don't have firsthand or direct research knowledge on this, but anecdotally, I continue to hear that there's all sorts of new scams and the hackers are trying to work their way into customer service organizations and socially engineer their way past an agent into a bank account, into something else that gives them, or just, can you remind me what's on my customer record, please? I kind of lost track of who I am and where I am or what I entered in for my uh, information record. So scamming to get personal identifiable information. So these protection and authentication technologies in the midst of the opportunistic scammers and hackers in this environment is really important. And I think if companies are new to some of these authentication tools, once they deploy them, they're going to stick with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that's great. That's a great uh, response regarding the security. How about I just I give you maybe a couple other categories sure. and you can speak to each one. What about in terms of productivity and efficiency? So, and I have gotten this question a couple of times as far as, you know, when we send people home, will they be productive? Some of this is the classic, classic work from home concerns by management. And I'm hoping this is going away. I've been a work from home employee since the 70s, okay? Not in all of my jobs, but I know the drill. And there's a number out there that show that people who work from home, in fact, there's a Forrester survey that says for people who work from home four days of work, say that they're more productive. So there's a number of studies that validate that. The problem from working home, as a matter of fact, is working too much because you just keep working. And so it's more of that problem as opposed to productivity. But when it comes to agents, they log in. They log into the system. We have all the same tools, call recording, quality monitoring, speech analytics, screen recording, to take a look at whether or not they're productive. And so I often say that contact center agents and contact centers are probably one of the most measured entities on the face of the planet. We've got more metrics, we've got more tools to watch productivity than almost any other function on the face of the planet. And they all still apply when the agent works from home. But we do have to cut them some slack because the work from home environment today is more disruptive, is a bit more chaotic. We still need them. And so I think we need to lighten up on perhaps maybe not their productivity metrics per se, But what happens during the midst of a call or an interaction might have some distractions and disruptions on them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about, let's say, I mean, that feeds into, I'll just mention this one now. You spoke about it previously, but worker availability, it sounds like one of the big things is having the flexibility there, understanding what our workers are dealing with. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I don't think so. It's just, it's a very chaotic environment and that shift bidding, shift scheduling, the just looking to the employee as the key resource that's helping the brand provide service and flexing towards what they need as part of that employee experience is critical. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you'd like to speak on regarding the agent experience? 
Well, the agent experience at home is that somewhat disruptive environment. And so making sure, now I talked earlier about providing laptops and technology, et cetera, et cetera, but we do see that from the technology providers, I mean, I spoke to one of the leading headset manufacturers the other day, and they are just, the factory's going full tilt. The supply chain is going full tilt, and they're struggling to keep up with the demand. So as we utilize a desktop or a laptop as a soft phone, and I don't, See a lot of people shipping a physical IP phone home, but giving the agent the tools that they need to do their job. And to a certain extent, it's not just headsets. Hey, maybe in order for them to be productive, it's not a bad idea that they have a decent sized monitor. If they're using their home computer and it's got an old clunker, cut them some slack. Give them permission. If they can go down the street, now we don't want everybody running around outside. We want to limit outside exposure. But if there is a local Staples that's open that has monitors available, let them get that. It's a minimal expense to help them be productive. Yeah. And what about one more, agile scheduling? Yeah. So agile is kind of like I used the term shift bidding and so on earlier, and it's instead of a classic eight-hour shift with a couple of 15-minute breaks with time off for lunch, and I chunk my agent resources into those kinds of time blocks. Agile scheduling is not just now chopping it up and maybe allowing people to work for two hours, three hours that day, and then fill in with other people willing to work for two hours, three hours. The other element of agile scheduling gets to the idea of what I call the intraday firefight. Today, we opened the contact center virtually, and there was just, we got pounded with demand. Something happened on the news last night that created a firestorm of traffic, and now we need a bunch more agents. This intraday firefight that workforce managers know is part of their job, they dread it when it happens, and their best practices as far as dealing with a big momentary or just instant spike in volume that was unplanned, they got to do this more because the gyrations in traffic are much more wild right now than what we might have seen in the past where there was, okay, there's a, there's a blizzard coming. Well, we watch the weather forecast. We kind of know that's coming. There's a huge power outage on the eastern seaboard. Well, that's momentary, and so we got to reschedule all the flights. Mm-hmm. So that intraday firefight, it's, again, I feel a lot for the workforce managers today in these jobs. Okay. What about as we transition to infrastructure? What new challenges are organizations facing from an infrastructure standpoint as we've seen this migration home? I think that it's the on-premise resources that can get stressed if they don't have the capacity. Just for example, from a security perspective, we log in utilizing VPN, virtual private network. Well, there's an appliance that provides that VPN service in a infrastructure. Now, this is a university and it's not contact center, but this is illustrative. They have a very high reliability configuration. It's four servers two servers in different data centers, so there's a geographic diversity as well. They estimated that when they sent all the students away and sent the faculty home and going totally virtual, that instead of needing to support 1,000 simultaneous sessions, they'd have to scale to 20,000. Whoa, how do you do that fast? They basically restructured those four servers, which basically there's one active one and three backups. 
all four were pointed at regular traffic. And so they were sacrificing the high reliability configuration to just serve traffic. So basically on-premise, your virtual desktop servers, to a certain extent, I don't. if there's a big spike in call volumes, your call servers, whatever you want to call them, you know, could be experienced spikes as well. So everything that an organization would own in terms of physical hardware and software licenses, and from a business continuity perspective, is all under stress and may not have the capacity because it was never even imagined that this capacity would come up. This is, again, where cloud comes into play, and you can spin up a ton of these services, I won't say on a dime, but much more rapidly, and you don't have to source hardware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, so there's that element. Um, even in regards, to, you spoke to hardware and laptops like from the point of view of the user. Uh, what else do we need to be considering from the hardware standpoint of infrastructure? So the other elements, so I mentioned a number of applications that utilize hardware slash servers, such as VPN, virtual desktop, you know, call servers, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know that your backend business applications and the server infrastructure for those is, you know, going to experience a lot of problems because generally speaking, they have enough slack and they're not the ones that I think are going to be stressed as much. Just a quick opinion on my part. But as far as any others, it then comes down to the network capacity in and out of enterprise data centers, your trunks and your internet connections. You know, is there enough bandwidth to satisfy the number of simultaneous sessions that all of a sudden now just kind of explode because it's either shifted to a different place because we're working from home or from a business perspective, the volumes have increased and the carriers are doing everything they can. I did a briefing with one of the major carriers last week, and they're scrambling. Uh, they're working to service customers. They're working to turn around these orders as quickly as they can. The good news is, is that today, you know, as opposed to the capacity tied to the physical link, like when we had copper, all right, and we could only put so many channels on the twisted pair, internet connections today over fiber it's just really more of processing an order to turn up the bandwidth because the fundamental fiber and fiber optic capacity is already there. It's just spinning up an order and entitling the customer to that increased bandwidth. Another one you mentioned previously from the worker standpoint was influxes of needing to hire or maybe shift employees. How is that affecting the infrastructure aspect of this? Yeah, so the new hire question certainly is hitting a number of these industries where the demand far outscales the labor force that they have. Your business process outsourcers who operate contact centers are going through this because they also have had some geographies where the COVID virus is is very severe. India is really, really hard right now because the infrastructure is really not that good for work from home and the Philippines. But as far as the whole process of, hey, I want to interview an agent. I want to see if there's someone that I want to bring on board and I want to bring them on board rapidly. It's less of an infrastructure question. It's more of now the process and the ability to get the organization to accept that we go out and put a job posting and we do the screening and then we do the interviewing and then we do the hiring and the onboarding and training all remote. 
So that's less of an infrastructure question. It's much more of a willingness to use the tools and willingness from a culture perspective of the organization to bring on employees without ever shaking their hand. Mm -hmm. Any other infrastructure aspects that we should be considering that we haven't talked about yet? I think we've really kind of hit all the ones that I really kind of thought through here and what I've heard from Forrester customers. Okay. All right. No, that's good. So then as we start to wind this down, we all have this path forward in front of us. And while I think you've been very realistic with the challenges that we're all facing, it does seem like there are some silver linings that people and organizations might be getting more long-term. And so I'm wondering the impact of these outside forces and the current climate creates this opportunity for change. What positives have you seen put in motion because of our current situation? I want to share with you, so in our last company meeting at Forrester, and George Colony, our CEO who founded the company, I mean, he was one of the originals founding the uh, IT market research industry. He was relating during the midst of the company meeting a conference call he had with a number of CEOs and CIOs because he has his council of you know top Forrester customers and expressing the fact that this group was saying, now what? As opposed to how can Forrester help us deal with what's going on right now? And it's not that we're going to come out of this and start going back in the office next week. Okay, but business leaders, I think that there's a number of them starting to ask the question, what next? And is there a new normal? And what does that look like? And what do we need to do to change? And there's a lot of things hung on the term digital transformation. (laughs) You know, almost anything that sits on a computer is called digital transformation. I often joke about it and say, well, what's not digital? Oh, a voice call. (laughs) But really... Many of them were expressing to George that what they might have been doing that was either off on the side or they weren't getting around to, they are looking at this and saying, you know, the top performing companies are going to work through this and they're going to accelerate digital transformation, either because they have to do some of it right now or because in some industries where there's a downturn in their activities, I mean, take the airlines right now, if traffic's down, let's go fix the boat, okay? Let's go shore things up. Let's address some of those projects we haven't gotten around to with our existing staff before we have to lay them off. So I think that overall, the acceleration to becoming an agile organization, which they're being forced to right now, the investment in digital transformation, which, of course, we can lump AI in with that as well. And I think that from the workforce, the willingness in a more broader fashion than we have in the past to accept a workforce that wants more flexible scheduling and more flexible places to work. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, those are some of the things that maybe were looming before all of this broke out. I'm, I'm curious, are there any positives that you're seeing that were unexpected or that either your team at Forrester or the companies you're working with didn't realize that are now becoming positives? Oh, I'm trying to see if there were any surprises in the midst of this. You know, nothing's really ringing in my head right now other than the really big one. And that is, you know, for the years that I've been in the contact center business, which I don't know if anyone grew up as a kid wanting to be one, an agent or an analyst uh, helping customers with the technology. I mean, I grew up wanting to be a pilot, but 
the idea that we're really tapping into this spirit of service, the fact that in people's DNA is what I call this helping gene, and seeing some of the heroics, and then recognizing and taking that in and saying, wow, we've got some people here. We've got an organization that can really step up to the plate and help customers in this really crazy environment. And if we can hold on to that, and we can start to incorporate that more into our culture than we have in the past, and really boost our whole emphasis on CX more than perhaps we have in the past, again, I really hesitate to be Pollyannish here because there's people dying right now. But the silver lining to come out of this with this kind of emphasis, I'm very hopeful and see a lot of evidence of this in the turmoil that many of the companies are going through. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like a realistic timeline is or a time frame that we should be holding ourselves accountable for as companies to start making these changes in general, maybe that sort of immediacy of it, but then also some of these changes which definitely sound like they should be permanent? I'll go back to the comment I made earlier about storming, norming, and performing. I think there's still a lot of storming going on right now and to put a time frame would mean that I'd have to be have a crystal ball in terms of predicting when the uh, COVID-19 case numbers not only flatten, but come down low enough that we can start to come out of this. And there's many other folks working on many other models than me. But let me frame this in terms of the three phases, storming, norming, and performing, that When we get to the performing phase and we recognize that there's a new way of doing business and we're maybe not back in the office yet, new processes, new ways of doing business and part of it working from home, can we hold on to those? Because what I'm encouraging companies is that once we come out of this, take a step back. What did we learn? What are some things that we need to hold on to as we go forward as far as, again, new processes? Maybe you finally have gotten that customer experience journey mapping council together and you never did before. Make that a permanent organization that the web team, the mobile team, the contact center team, you know, all those different touch points that really, really scrambled to find the hotspots and customer journeys and how to optimize them in the midst of this mess. Hey, that's a good idea. And we learned a lot about each other when we did that. Hold on to that and make that permanent. Mm -hmm. Is there anything just from like the practical level or sort of the urgency factor? I mean, we're talking about a lot of different pieces here, but should companies, organizations be moving faster to get vendor resources secured or things along those lines? Well, I think the classic need for speed has kind of always been with us. And when we source things from our suppliers, we've worked for years in many, many companies to optimize their supply chain so that we're not building up inventories and that we can get things relatively rapidly and quickly. But it's not always just widgets. That supply chain for many organizations now in terms of technology capabilities comes from the cloud. So that supply chain has less friction than premise equipment had in the past. So just learning even better how to source and to integrate cloud services is something that should be a valued lesson and something to take forward. 
Mm-hmm. No, I think that's wise. So I know you don't have the crystal ball, and that's why it's, it's sort of difficult to ask some of these projection-type questions. But I am curious, as we wrap up, say even specific to something like the call center, you can answer it to other verticals. Do you have any sense of what, say, next year will look like, what 2025 would look like, sort of a long-term projection? Sure. And I know I've alluded to some of these things already, but first of all, I think that this will accelerate the shift to digital, but not at the complete demise of voice. Every one of these touch points with customers has evolved and kind of found their place as to what's right for what, for what customer and for what intent that they need to have processed. And yes, we know that there are a number of interactions that happen over voice that you know could be done on digital, but the consumers themselves haven't been going there. So this forced familiarization that's going on, I think it is gonna kind of provide some level of permanent shift to digital channels. I think that the boost in self-service, so as organizations scramble to, hey, wait a minute, we, we did that chatbot project last year and it was doing okay. It was containing this much of our calls. Wow, we had to do a lot more. So building more of a automation muscle in terms of organizations working with their suppliers and working pretty quickly to do that, we're going to really see more of this take hold and do more than it's been doing in the current year. I think we're going to see a lot more seats at home. I just feel that this is going to lock in as far as a labor sourcing model that some companies who've been more reluctant and even those that have been using it are going to use it more. So I, I think that as we look forward, that that's absolutely going to happen. I'm absolutely convinced that that employee experience, that sourcing of a more agile labor force is something that's going to be more broad kind of when we get there. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you want to discuss that we haven't covered yet? We've covered a lot of ground here, and I think that, you know, like I said earlier, I kind of got on my soapbox about the spirit of service, but I can't think of much else beyond what we've discussed so far. Okay. If people want to learn more about you, where is the best place for them to go? So if you go to Forrester.com and you look up my name, you'll see my bio. And also there should be a link there as far as if there's a need to post an inquiry. Now, that's for existing Forrester customers. But some of my public-facing research, some of the blogs, et cetera, you know, check those out. Take a look at them. Again, I work Collaboration and Contact Center. I've been in these industries over 30 years, and I continue to enjoy, not get bored, by what I'm doing to help clients really boost their customer experience and their employee experience by applying these technologies. I love it. Thank you for listening to Elevating the Customer Experience, a podcast from Nuance. If you need help, especially given our current climate and new challenges, Nuance is here. You can schedule a session with one of our customer experience experts or to learn how we're helping other organizations like yours, visit nuance.com forward slash catalyst hyphen four hyphen cx hyphen success don't worry that link is in the show notes otherwise you can email us directly at cxexperts at nuance.com again that is cxexperts at nuance.com asking for some more information if you enjoyed this episode or really even this series please share it with your team or a friend who would benefit from the information You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.